Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the VSuit podcast, the Higgs boson particle of virtualization podcasts. For this show, we're joined by a gentleman who is not only very, very smart, he would also be very, very rich if only he could find someone to pay him a dollar for each time they got his name wrong. It's Joe Omisic. Joe's a straight talking guy I met at my first tech field day. Will this end up being marked as explicit on iTunes? Who knows? Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Excellent. I'm glad, to, glad to have you on. Um, so we, we met for the first time, it must have been about 18, 18 months, almost two years ago now, um, in, in San Jose at uh, Tech Field Day 4, I believe. I remember that. That was a quite a good Tech Field Day. Some, uh, some great companies and some rather lackluster companies were uh, present for that one. Yes. Yep. Some have done well and some I've never heard of since. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. it's uh, certainly, certainly good fun. So what have you been up to? I mean, you've, you've moved across from uh, um, into, well, you've been at uh, your current role for quite some time now at WWT um, in more of the sort of, uh, I guess, sort of uh, customer architect pre-sales or post-sales kind of stuff. It's uh, customer architect pre-sales. So I'm, uh, I work with a team of technical architects uh, focused on a series of, of, of verticals, so uh, the U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps, and then uh, non-combat Department of De- Defense agencies, um, basically designing data center and converged infrastructure solutions for those for those agencies and some civilian agencies. Uh, yeah, I, I hear that the U.S. federal market is you know the massive market, but uh, a little bit unpredictable as to uh, how their business runs. Um, in that you know they might suddenly have to go two years without funding, which must make life interesting. Um, it's it's quite a quite an interesting. You you end up learning to play the game as much as you do the technology. Right. Right. Do you, do you still miss uh, getting deep, deep in with the tech? Or I do, I do. So I, as, as often as I can, I try and get my hands on things. But typically, about five minutes into that, now I get kicked off the gear. <laughs> um, I mean, for everyone else's fault. <laughs> oh, of course. One of the things I remember was a particularly good uh, blog post of yours around uh, your A-game solutions. And at the time, it was you know Cisco UCS as being your strong and reliable solution and potentially that forming part of a, a greater stack. Do you think the sort of the, um, when everyone was advertising stacks at the end of uh, 2010, do you think those have still got as much um, punch to them as they have today or have people kind of ignored that really and going with their own thing? No, I think there's been a lot of adoption, kind of the um, the vendor integrated stacks. Um, UCS is still a great play within that. Obviously, two of the two of the most talked about stacks, if nothing else, uh, VBlock and Flexbot, are both hinged on a Cisco UCS servers. Uh, but the, the integrated stack as a whole, regardless of if it's a Cisco or a VCE or a, or a Dell or HP stack, it it seems to give the customers a, a more warm and fuzzy feeling about the infrastructure they're getting, and it helps them move forward into. Um, bigger, better IT tasks because they don't have to worry about the integration of multiple vendors or, or multiple components together themselves. They can trust that their vendor has done that back-end for them and don't have to reinvent the wheel with every uh, infrastructure deployment. Yeah, sounds sounds good. I, I guess the, you know, the single throat to choke from a support point of view seems to be quite a compelling argument. That, that definitely does help. Who likes to call three different vendors and pit them against each other to try and figure out a problem? Every Oracle customer out there. It seems that there's uh, another sort of super stack emerging. You know, Dell have recently launched their uh, is it V Start um, 
but now on the back, you know, they've they've bought uh, what can only be described as a massive uh, software company of uh, Quest Software, who have something around 200 different products. Um, so they've now suddenly got a massive software portfolio, and wondering what to do with it, I suspect. Yeah, 200 active products, but I'd like to know how many are actually being developed and cared for. Well, I think both of those products are probably really good. <laughs> they were they were good at one time. <laughs> so maybe maybe a fifteen to twenty percent of those products are actually being developed and cared for. Uh, yeah, good possibility. I, I did hear that you know they spent a lot of time uh, developing uh, bits for the uh, the EMC boost engine for Data Domain, which obviously is going to be a great host now that they actually are trying to develop for a competitor's hardware. Uh, for you know. Not going to do Dell's DGUP hardware any good. Uh, some of the backup stuff. So I'm sure they. Uh, it was a, a good decision boost? at the time. Yeah, there's, there's a kind of like a. a best, yeah, best described I know DD Boost. It does the source side, thing. but is that that's networker though? Uh, yeah, but it also works with uh, one of Quest backup products, either Netball or the Ranger. Might be the Ranger, and they spent quite some time getting it to work, okay. uh, which is brilliant. But now, obviously, they, they're owned by Dell. They probably aren't really going to want to do too much with the MC storage when they've got lots of storage solutions of their own to sell. So I think it's, it's uh, overall, it's a really interesting acquisition for Dell. One, it's it's huge, and, and I think there's only been one other Dell acquisition of this size, uh, the multi-billion dollar size. But it's also showing Dell being rather forward-thinking. If you look at, at where the market and where the money is going, the data itself is really where all that's going. The hardware below is commodity almost across the board. Uh, storage and networking being kind of the last two places to commoditize, but software-defined networking is showing some promise to commoditize uh, network hardware. And if you look at the storage hardware underneath, it doesn't matter. Everyone's buying their disks from the same people. It's the software EMC, NetApp, or Hitachi are putting in that really make that matter. So yep. Dell moving to a software acquisition, moving into what, what actually controls and modifies or takes care of the data, Seems to make a whole lot of sense if they can execute on it. True, and that, and you know, they were saying that there's there's no margin in hardware anymore, probably unless you're Cisco. Um, but you know, that software and services is where where the money is, and they needed some software to be able to sell services on top of it. Um, and what a what a better alternative way than to buy a massive software firm. But I, although I suppose as you know, people who are in the sort of the data center virtualization side of things, we, we've focus quite heavily on that part of the um, portfolio, but as I understand, you know, Quest do all sorts of stuff for SQL and identity management, so I guess that must that could feature as part of a stack um, that they can actually start to look up towards the application level, in the same way that uh, VMware has sort of moved outside of, you know, just data center management, and they're now uh, looking at the whole, you know, sort of almost end user side of things with the various desktop offerings. Agreed. I'm, uh, I'm uh, not nearly familiar enough with Quest um, as I'd like to be. I know the only product I've ever used from them was the V Ranger product suite when that was still with Vision Core, and I found that to be uh, rather lackluster at best. Yeah, it was a good competitor for a while, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I guess we can't comment too much on that. No, no, no it's, it's, it's a big acquisition. That's all we can say. I guess. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> a lot of money. Dell is spending a lot of money on something. And I don't think even Quest knows what it is. So no, it'll be interesting to see what's going to the supermarket and picking up a big thin liner of food. And there's going to be some caviar in there, but there's going to be some kind of 
squidgy bananas in there as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the other big purchase uh, recently has been Dynamic Ops. Now, that's not one I saw coming. Um, it certainly hit me as a surprise, but that could just be my finger being off the pulse. Uh, what do you guys think of it? I have no idea. Seriously, I have no idea what's going on there. And it, it isn't that long ago that uh, Paul Maritz said that they would never be VMware would never be moving into the uh, multiple hypervisor stack or management part of things. And then uh, I guess less than a year later or something, they buy Dynamic Ops that actually do that. Yeah, but so. it might kind of be a, an attempt at an answer to System Center 2012. I think the more important thing to gather here is that people in, in high public uh, profile positions like Paul should never make such emphatic statements because somebody's going to have it written down and you're eventually going to end up having to step on your toes if you stay in this business. <laughs> That's very true. And given, given that everyone in this business have an, basically has an opinion and posts it everywhere, um, everything is going to be repeated a lot of times, so you're you're bound to get everything back in your face the moment something changes. I'd be curious to know what uh, what you gentlemen think about the idea of managing heterogeneous hypervisor environments is as a whole. I, I've never been a big fan of it. I consider it to be a waste of admin time and money. It, you you pick whichever platform is going to do. In my opinion, you pick whichever platform is going to handle eighty five to ninety percent of your workload the best and just stick with it, uh, rather than having to have expertise across multiple hypervisor platforms. Yeah, and like we've, we've actually talked about in previous episodes, if you, if you use a cheaper or even a free hypervisor for your test environment, you're not going to be able to do proper performance tests to see if you're going to get the same in production. So it should be, to some degree, same across the board. I, I That's agree. true. But if you are in the process of doing a migration, I mean... A change of hypervisor is not necessarily going to be an overnight big bang. Um, so there is presumably going to be a point during that transition, which, depending on the inertia of your company, could be quite some time. Yeah, it might be what VMware is referring to in their announcement kind of blog post thing. We're talking about companies with pockets of different hypervisors. I don't know. But, uh, but I also had a look at the, or had a thought surrounding the uh, acquisition as something as trying to position themselves in a, in a position where System Center 2012 might be, uh, in a way. The same kind of thing Ed was talking about. So, I don't know. The, I, I guess System Center doesn't uh, allow you to manage uh, any external cloud services besides Azure, possibly. But Dynamics, Dynamic Ops lets you manage Amazon EC2 stuff and whatever. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. Yes, no, I think certainly certainly one to watch. And you know, I think think you know, you know the system said to stuff. Having seen a lot of the 2012 bits, you know, it's it's looking like a pretty strong product, and I can see why VMware are wanting something to compete. You know, to be able to do be that big framework. VC um, Ops is pretty good for that, but it's not going to be the overarching framework. No, exactly. But but is System Center 2012 still dependent on vCenter for managing ESX or vSphere? Um, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you still need some somewhere to host the APIs. Um, yeah. 
you know, Vicente at the moment is still that massive single point of failure in the chain. Um, you need it for everything. As I, I spoke to a customer very recently who they've got to migrate their, their Vicente databases and they're, they're not happy about it. Uh, they're really not looking forward to it because they're just worried about a vCenter outage. Um, yeah. Nowadays, it, it is it's quite a significant thing, and I'm guessing I, I would like to see in the future that vCenter moves to a a, a model where it, it, it's no longer that that one point that you can scale it horizontally and heaven forbid, uh, uh, you know, sort of federate it across and make make it no longer that single, single point of failure. Yeah, but that's a, kind of where they're going with with link mode in a way, I guess. Uh, it seems there was like a novelty in link mode of, of days gone by, but it, it didn't really do it. You kind of no. linked it, but it it was more hassle than it was worth normally. Yeah, but moving to into a kind of the the V Center appliance kind of thing, you're kind of moving difference moving away from the the operating system in a way there as well, which might make it easier to, to do distributed vCenters in a way. That's true, yeah. You know, if you have the, you know, these sort of big scale out storage engines um, that everyone seems to be talking about, uh, have, have your official rather than big data, big vCenter, and actually have it replicating in that sort of way, then, you know, you could have one vCenter for an enormous cloud organization. It just happens to be this vCenter cluster which amorphously sits around your network and you tap into whichever point it answers first. I, I would guess about, that's the way it's going. I don't know. but and can't forget about Heartbeat. It's a product not talked about very much, but still exists. Yeah, but just way too expensive. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense for most customers anyway. So Using it, it's, it's way too costly. So... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how management of hybrid or mixed or private and public clouds and whatever. Uh, I should I should uh, let Joe actually uh, define the cloud since that his that's his site. So you should you should enlighten us. I don't I don't I'm not really sure. I I uh, really know what the cloud is yet. <laughs> I don't know that I could uh, I could help at all there. I'm not sure that that anyone knows exactly what it is because it can be a little bit different for uh, for probably just about anybody. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. This takes us back to episode one here, man. Yeah. <laughs> what what is the cloud? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I mentioned recently. I've just come back from uh, TechEd uh, in in Amsterdam, which was a, an interesting place to host a. Um, tech conference. Uh, it's my first time at a Microsoft conference, so a little bit different in terms of atmosphere. Um, perhaps it was a bit smaller, um, and that there wasn't the the buzz that you kind of feel at VMware. Um, whether that's just down to I didn't know as many people, or you know, sort of other other more sort of social reasons. Uh, I would guess so because. When we go to VMworld, we kind of expect to see a lot of people. And and, and if you if you're not into uh, kind of the Microsoft community in the same way, you you go there with a kind of a different view on things, and you don't expect to actually meet someone and hang out and eat kebabs with or whatever. So. <laughs> or or interview a potato or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, two, two things I, I will say about it that were very very good though. 
won as the party. They actually got it right. So we've talked on, on previous shows about the awkwardness of a, uh, a conference party where you've got 9,000 men in an environment, uh, you know, in a party environment where they feel they should be women there, but they're not. So they feel a little bit awkward. Um, and they, Microsoft kind of, they got around that problem by just putting them into a, uh, the, the IAC stadium and putting the football on and supplying beer and hot dogs on demand. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, it was a much better atmosphere because no one was sort of felt like they were being forced to have fun and dance to ABBA. <laughs> give me, no, give me a man after midnight? No. There, there, there was no man after midnight. And some, oh, okay. some guys have no shame, though. They, they dance with other dudes, and it's good for them. They enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not everyone. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought you know that particular part was very well executed. Um, and the other bit uh, that impressed me was uh, free certification. They had Prometric set, had a room set up. If you could find it, it was a little bit of a trek to actually locate. <laughs> Yeah, um, my boss was there, and he, he was actually by that point. My boss was there, and he was actually planning on taking a number of tests. Every slot was full, every single one. Oh, I just turned up uh, and said, "Can I take an exam?" And he said, "Sure, which one?" And I kind of picked one randomly from a list that I vaguely I might have used ten percent of the products, and I failed it. The first Microsoft exam I ever failed, but um, I I almost passed it, which I was quite impressed with. Um, <laughs> But at least it was free. It didn't cost me anything, so I wasn't too fussed about it. Uh, if I, yeah, if I'd shelled out, you know, hundred dollars or whatever it is to take uh, Microsoft Now Charge for an exam, I probably would have studied and actually used the products beforehand. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think free certification. You're paying quite a bit to go to these conferences, and not only did you get free certification, and this is one for for Mike Laverick, but you also get a free TechNet subscription. Um, so you get a year's free software, which is kind of, I, I would imagine, you know, for a small company that can't necessarily, you know, doesn't have a huge budget, that's going to take the sting of having to pay for tech, ed, um, take a little bit of sting out. It's time. Yeah. VMware announced something yesterday, didn't they, about, uh, a discounted certification at VMware US at least. I think. I think they had 50% off the VCAP, VCAPs, at least. Or, or yeah, the probably. Um, it, it's, it's certainly a step in the right direction. You know, and I realize that uh, VMware certainly see themselves, um, their own certifications, you know, there's not as many that you can take, and they view them as very much premium certification, whereas, you know, Microsoft ones, there are 8 billion that you could sit. You know, you could even sit an exam on Microsoft you wanted to. Um, so I guess they sort of feel they just want people to sit the exam, whereas VMware still, you know, they've got that little premium tag attached to them. Yeah, I, I guess that's why I got BCP number 120,000 or something uh, when I did my exam. <laughs> it's an exclusive group. It is, relatively speaking. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of tech again, I had one of my colleagues uh, attend it as well. He was a, he, he was a, a speaker there as well. Uh, he didn't enjoy the party that much, but he doesn't like football. So, I'm not a massive fan of it either, but I just thought the atmosphere was kind of, it was good. And, you know, if you're going to watch football, watching it from the, 
the middle of the the pitch at the Ajax Stadium is quite an impressive place to go and watch a game of football. Yeah, sure, but but do you know who who was actually playing at a gig at the same time in the building next door or something? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. No, okay. Bon Jovi. Told no, told you. <laughs> Not Bon Jovi, Cold Jam. <laughs> Death Leopard. I, I'm I'm seeing Cold Jam live on Monday, so I'm kind of psyched about that. But uh, I would rather see. I, I would actually go see Pearl Jam instead of watching a football match as well, which kind of says a lot in my case. Yes, because you're quite keen keen on football. Somewhat. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious if I if I'd feel like I had gone to a tech conference without a uh, a, a has been band playing and a bunch of overweight men standing around holding their uh, cell phones in the air as if they were lighters. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they've got the lighter app installed. <laughs> well, it actually uh, opens the battery as you go on and will give you a slight burn. <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's just a sad image. <laughs> I think I, I think that was the sad image I had. It was VMware in San Francisco, or VMworld in San Francisco two years ago, and I stood in the back. I think NXS was playing, and uh, stood in the back watching that. And I think it was only about ten minutes of it I could take, and had to leave and go find something else to do. Yeah, but on the on the upside, it's Bon Jovi this year. I mean, seriously, it's Bon Jovi. You should so? go. Everyone should go. Yeah, but that's the US. You know, the UK is going to get not the UK, the European ones. Going to get someone rubbish. Uh, yeah, I, I actually. Um, <laughs> you probably could even get Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> hey, come on! I liked Come On Eileen. It's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, uh, before they announced Bon Jovi, I uh, I tweeted something about who cares because uh, EU is going to get shafted again. Uh, to which you, John Troyer actually replied, yeah, we don't see a reason why not. <laughs> well, this, so there's no reason we won't even get Bon Jovi in Europe. So that's good to know. The deal is <laughs> in, the, in the European conferences, though, sometimes it's cooler to just like go to the, you know, usually it's a new country for uh, some of us and just go to the center of town and go to an actual bar with with. Yeah, you know that's a little better in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would prefer that as well. I, I I wouldn't go to such a conference based on, on who's playing anyway. So that's not a deciding factor in any way, sense or for, or form. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's I'm looking forward to Barcelona this year. Uh, again, it's as I said, it, it's a new city. Uh, it's not somewhere I've visited before. Um, I have been uh, been warned that. Uh, Barcelona has some some really great pickpockets, so uh, keep an eye on your wallet and only take a minimum stuff out with you. <laughs> yeah, might want to might want to cover up the bags you're carrying as well. Oh, the special uh, please mug me bags. Yeah, the please. <laughs> nice. Oh, they'll be happy. Spain just won the European Championships. No one would care. <laughs> uh, I'm back on football again. Uh, there is some good news about VMworld, though, isn't there? Uh, I don't think it's been announced yet, so I I'm not sh quite sure how much I should talk about it. But I can cut with, it if it's necessary. Yeah, well, I I'm guessing someone will, some something will be announced before um, before this is released anyway. But 
with all, there, I think there were over 2,000 submissions uh, for uh, presentations this year, for sessions this year. That's and a lot. I, yeah, and I think about 12% of those uh, made it made the cut, so to speak. So there's uh, there's uh, something like uh, close to 1,800 session proposals that didn't go through. Now, of course, there's a lot of probably a lot of duplicates there as well, but the uh, the spawn of all the rejection emails kind of uh, uh, did, did uh, satellite something on Twitter with people trying to uh, organize something on their own. Some some talk about doing something like uh, an unconference. Uh, we know Mark Laverick's been talking about doing something uh, earlier as well. And uh, the v, v Brownback guys actually took um, took this on a bit and decided to try to do something online. Uh, and I, I think Cody Bunch has later on talked to VMware and it seems like there will be a possibility to do something in the community's lounge. Uh-huh. During, during VMworld, including, and this is the really fun part, the flash talk idea we had. The, the, the 10 minutes, do your, do your entire VMworld, a VMworld session in 10 minutes. Yes. And get it, yeah. I hope, uh, I don't know that yet, but the kind of sign up, do a flash talk in the community's lounge at VMworld seems to be something that's actually going to happen. Cool. Fantastic. Did you uh, submit a, a session to VMworld, Joe? I did not. No, but no. If, if you did, what what would you submit? To, what, what would if, if someone said, right, you got ten, a ten minute uh, flash talk, and you got to get you know a couple of good points over? What would you go for? And this is for VMworld specifically. Yeah. Uh, why Citrix is a better desktop broker? <laughs> just, and, and and vice versa. If I was saying the same for Citrix, I'd just have to fix something that was controversial, controversial, and would upset the host. Yeah, sure. That that, that works for a ten minute session. That would yeah, get yeah, things. We think don't try. Don't upset the wookie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I think that takes a lot to be honest, but okay. <laughs> He's very long suffering. He puts up with us the experts pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that could be fantastic, and we'll certainly get the uh, the lounge uh, area should generate. You know, there was a reasonable buzz there last year, but I, I think there could be even more. Um, and, you know, I suppose people being competitive as they are, there, there might well be some form of voting and vote for your favourites, but should be a, a small prize, maybe a potato. I, 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 there haven't hasn't really been any details um, said about it yet, but. It seems like something is actually going to happen in that regard, and that's that's a lot of fun. It, uh, getting the chance to actually do something um, on your own, even though it's uh, uh, even if you didn't submit a session or if you didn't got rejected, it why not? If you're there anyway, try do the best of it, of it and do do a small ten minute session or something. It's uh, that should be it should be a lot of fun, and I think we could see a lot of. Uh, new faces, at least, uh, doing stuff at VMworld that we wouldn't normally see. And it's terrible to let a good idea go to waste just because you didn't get picked to 
present at VMworld. There's, I mean, there's only so many sessions that they can fill in the rest. There's going to be a lot of good content that isn't able to make it. Of course. And I, I don't blame VMware for rejecting uh, 88% of all the submissions when they get 2,000 submissions. There's no way they can actually pull that off and let everyone have a go. So uh, there's uh, that's just the way it is. Um, but hopefully a lot of the people who actually submitted sessions and, and didn't get uh, approval for them, uh, would, would would still actually try to uh, develop some kind of presentation out of it and post it online or do a quick talk at or flash talk at VMworld or whatever and do something with the actual idea instead of just bur burying it in your closet and never look at it again. So did anyone here submit any su uh, sessions for VMworld this year? Nope. No, I don't have time to put anything together, unfortunately. Um, I'd, I'd like to. I think a lot of people would like to. Um. There's, I'd love to speak at a, at VMworld or, or Cisco Live one of these years, but I can never think of a topic that's interesting enough to me, which means it's definitely not going to be interesting enough to anyone else. You know, or something that I would guess no one else was talking about already. Yeah, I think the caliber of, of, uh, of sessions and, uh, has gone up. Uh, as, as these events have got more popular and people have realized, well, you know, actually I can go and speak at these. I, you know. But then you've got to have something that's going to really stick out. Um, you can no longer do the how to virtualize exchange because, well, guess what? People have virtualized exchange before. Um, and unless you're doing how to virtualize exchange on your phone, then it's not <laughs> really going to be anything new. The interesting thing about exchange though is, uh, Microsoft pushing SMB3 for, yeah. Storage, which right now violates the exchange uh, support agreement. Well, yeah, and the other thing is uh, actually something I was discussing fairly recently of you know, virtualizing Exchange 2010 with all of its uh, the DAGs and the uh, the replication built into it. It's not so much the how would you virtualize Exchange, but why? Unless you've got a strategic we are going to virtualize first policy, I'm not too sure why I would actually want to virtualize exchange. There's, you don't gain anything. You're just adding another layer. I'd agree with that, but you do gain some. Some you do gain some very minimal benefits. Uh, the hardware stability and you know driver compatibility and, and other advantages you get with a virtualized hypervisor platform. The standardization of virtualizing across the board. I've been a big proponent of one-to-one -one virtualization in, in one-off cases for years. If I'm going to virtualize 90% of my workloads and I have 10% that just can't work on a shared server. I'd rather virtualize them on a hypervisor one-to-one -one anyway, just to keep a very standard support mat uh, matrix across my platform. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm... With abstract, as you say, abstract hardware from it. And if you decide to do what you know, uh, government organizations, as you, you may or may not be aware to do, you know, they like to hang on to their OS for a long time. And uh, in the UK, that certainly happened. I've heard of certain government organizations still running Windows NT. The problem is the hardware to run Windows NT, it's getting rarer and rarer, and they can't can't get spares. So it's a perfect excuse to have it virtual. Um, so maybe it's an argument that will make sense of it further down the line. Agreed, and a hardware refresh is a great use case for that. It is it is extremely painful to do a hardware refresh on a bare metal server, no matter what you're working with, and it is extremely painless to do it if it's virtualized. That's true. That's true. But from so one-to-one -one virtualization, great benefits. But it's it's not the most license friendly thing in the world. Um, do you, perhaps there should, should there be a skew for 
I'm just going to run one VM, just the single monster VM SKU? Or would you actually go for a, a you know a free hypervisor on that? Although ESXi free probably isn't quite going to be man enough to be running big exchange boxes anyway. So that that would be an interesting question. Yes, it'd be great to have a, a lower cost license or a free license for for those one to one versions. Would a manufacturer ever just throw away the, the that profit? Probably not. Um, yeah. But but getting something like even even I think ESXi would work in those cases because you're you really what you're doing is saying I'm not going to manage it with vCenter. Well, you weren't going to manage it with vCenter on bare metal anyway, so you're not losing anything. That's true. I'm That's just true. using the um, the uh, memory capacity if you need it. Yeah, it's, it's just that you know you're, you're still limited. Are you are you limited from a CPU point of view? I don't think so, to be honest, but. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I couldn't remember if you could run more than four vCPU on on free version. I forgot about the the memory requirement uh, or the the memory constraint and on the free version. Gig. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, that seemed to be Microsoft's big pitch at uh, TechEd was, and I don't know why because I suppose you know we don't tend to talk about the free ESXi very often um, in the. the the VMware side of things because it's just something that's there and we don't really use it. You know, I'd much rather have my NFR key for Enterprise Plus. Thank you very much. Um, but Microsoft to make you a big player. Well, no, our free hypervisor does everything our paid hypervisor does. There are no differences between the two. There is no such thing as a free Microsoft hypervisor, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are running a Linux workload on it, it is completely free. If you're not, if you're not you running, you only have the license. Um, the Hyper-V server um, for Windows VMs. So if you've got a Linux estate, you don't have to license it at all. Oh, if you're going to manage it with machine manager, yeah, then you've got to buy VMM licenses. But if you're just going to use Hyper-V manager, which is fine, you can manage a cluster with that, and you can do all the, all the same features, all the live migration uh, with uh, RSAC and PowerShell. Yeah, but PowerShell would require a Windows license somewhere. So... Uh, on, your, on your laptop. Yeah, but it's still not free. <laughs> you have to buy a, you have to buy some Windows stuff to get Hyper-V anyway. And if you're running a pure Linux shop, who in their right mind would virtualize that on Hyper-V? Yeah, they'd go for one of the free <laughs> Linux hypervisors, I would guess. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I don't quite know what Microsoft were, were pitching that, but they were saying, yeah, that's no, great for great for running Windows for, for Linux shops and. You can probably imagine every single Linux admin in the room sort of groaning slightly and crying to himself. Who would, uh, want, to ru- who would want to ruin a perfectly good Linux deployment with a Microsoft hypervisor? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but exactly. one question: What is a Linux admin doing at TechEd? Uh, they probably got a free ticket. <laughs> um, but yeah. Or Microsoft thought they could get away with that arguments since none of them were there. Yeah. But if you know, if you wanted to run a one-to-one system, so you're not going to need Virtual Machine Manager because you're probably going to, you might have System Center for managing Exchange, but yeah, you could stick stick Exchange on a Hyper-V box. It's it's not going to really complain that much, um, particularly with the the 2012 stuff. Yeah, then the, then you're back back to the the kind of the original um, statement I made about Exchange and support of non-block uh, storage uh, in the backend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Microsoft does with the licensing and the support stuff for when this all of this is actually released. Yeah. Remember, the same was uh, true for SQL. 
You couldn't. Yeah. It was not yeah, supposed to run SQL databases on a uh, uh, file-based shared storage. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I would be very surprised if it doesn't change. Uh, it has the to change. Three thing sounds neat. They have to change that with regards to uh, they. They're now pushing SMB three as the overall best protocol ever since. Since ever, since binary, yeah, I don't know. You guys might groan, but I would not run an exchange database or an SQL database, for that matter, on a file on file based storage. Well, not not, not even a a NetApp. Yeah, no, I would go for the block of NetApp. Yeah, but surely NetApp would much rather you went for the NFS because then you can use Snap Manager for Exchange and all all of their extra. Brackets licensed product. Okay, I might not know enough about NetApp, but I thought you could still use Snap Manager with the block storage as well. Uh, good question. Oh, yeah, you can. You, you can, as a matter of fact, because that was our initial huh? exchange deployment. Yeah, you can. Ah, cool. I, I sit corrected. Uh, yeah, I always thought uh, they pushed NFS for all of their their neat features. They push NFS because, in my opinion, that's what NetApp is best at. Well, the Snap Manager products are typically OS or or, um, or application dependent, so they're not necessarily based on what the underlying protocol of your storage is. They're they're pushing in to provide advantages for something like Exchange or SQL or Oracle specifically. Mm-hmm. All right, gotcha. Um, so yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah. I mean, I suppose I've, I've got to see what SMB three can really offer. Um, again, it, it goes against my idea of, as you say, putting a a SQL database on a file share. What sort of crazy man are you? Um, but if it can provide the performance and the availability and the scalability, then why not? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying I would do it, but with Microsoft pushing that protocol as the uh, next best, next best thing, they would have to support it internally as well and running their own applications on it. It makes no sense if they didn't. So that support policy has to change. Yeah, and it's not the first time that Microsoft have changed their support policies to suit themselves. No, um, yeah, the whole live, um, like live migration and licensing and running domain controllers virtualized and all of those good stuff um, are support policies we've seen fallen by the wayside. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised at all if it if it changes very soon. The majority of the changes I've seen Microsoft make in the way in which Exchange is deployed are in order to get you into or get you off of advanced features of other vendors and onto costly advanced features Microsoft offers, um, getting you more into Microsoft advanced clustering and things like that, and locking you tighter into Microsoft products. Um, so I'd be kind of curious as to is what what's the real play behind SMB for them. But yeah, it's it's uh, kind of eroding uh, storage vendors' unique offerings. Um, would so you yeah. also would you also think that maybe it's a it's a way to start moving people towards a Microsoft hosted uh, public cloud exchange type basis, getting it onto SMB and off of things that are a little more complex to scale, um, like block storage. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know what uh, Microsoft are running in their data centers, but they certainly got some very significant uh, storage space kicking around um, and 
they want to do something with it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what they're what they're doing with it. I, I'm I'm not convinced that they would will be able to kind of erode the uh, fiber channel or iSCSI or NFS, which is I guess it's the primary primary target for it. Which is kind of interesting to see Microsoft putting out SMB as an alternative to NFS when Microsoft are actually in the NFS working group. Um, represented there with regards to developing NFS4. So I don't know. It's uh, I guess it's with that as it is with everything else. Microsoft have, has a finger in it and tries to stir the pot as much as possible as yeah. long as it gains them. But if, if you think back a, a few years ago, um, you know, pre-large-scale virtualization, most shops didn't have a SAM. You might have had a SAN for your SQL boxes, but your average Windows server ran on local disk. Um, and Microsoft controlled that whole stack. And then, see, VMware's come along, everyone started going, we need to buy some storage. So they've gone out and bought some storage. Um, and now Microsoft is trying to potentially sort of push this message of actually, you, that storage will share anything, will do shared nothing migration and... I'm not, I'm not convinced of that as a, uh, a fully complete message. I think there is always going to be a, a big place for um, some shared storage. I definitely agree with that, especially with the way shared storage is going now. The, the ability to do basically any type of protocol on, it, on any box just gives the flexibility to shared storage as well as some performance increases in most deployments. It's becoming a real, like the Swiss Army knife of, of ways to store. So local disk has its place and will have its place, um, but I don't see shared storage going away anytime. No, no, it'll, it'll always, I think, as you say, it is going to have a place. Um, but it, it seems to me that Microsoft is sort of saying, well, actually, no, you know, uh, particularly with they're trying to leverage the whole SMIS thing, which is making all storage have a, you know, a very neutral interface and no one vendor is going to have anything better than the others because it's all got to be SMIS compliant. And if you're using software that's controlling uh, your storage through SMIS, you're not going to be able to leverage any of the unique offerings of that vendor. So that's kind of why so, uh, uh, storage vendors seem a little bit reluctant to roll out SMIS compatible uh, products across the board. Okay, well, with that in mind, guys, let's wrap up uh, for VSoup episode 24. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Joe, for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And, um, Remember to listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks for listening.